Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues, and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions, and issues. These in-depth yet approachable episodes are a great resource for both private individuals and industry professionals. Our esteemed host, Dr. James Flowers, is one of the most recognized and respected names in the field of chronic pain, mental health, and substance use disorders, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Flowers is the founder of J. Flowers Health Institute, located in Houston, Texas. For more information about J. Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655. And be sure to mention this podcast. Welcome to Understanding the Human Condition with your host, Dr. James Flowers. Hey, Robin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. I am so excited to have Dr. Rex Marco with us today. Oh, I know, I know. Lucky us, huh? Yeah, lucky us. And a, an amazing man with an amazing uh, career in medicine and uh, an amazing life that he is uh, living today. For sure. Hello there. Can you hear Hi, us? how are you? We're good. Can I read a little bio first so the audience learns a little more about you? For those who don't know about you, that is. <laughs> sure. Excellent. Dr. Rex Marco's mission is to provide his patients with compassionate and comprehensive care with the best possible outcomes. Through his years of experience, he has developed relationships with some of the finest physicians and healthcare professionals in their fields. He has assembled an elite multidisciplinary oncology team to comprehensively treat his patients with bone and soft tissue tumors, including adult and pediatric radiation and medical oncologists, surgical oncologists, pathologists, and reconstructive surgeons. Dr. Marco also has an impressive team of physical therapists and physical medicine rehabilitation specialists for his patient with the disorders of the spine. He currently serves as chief medical ambassador for Reeve Research Collaborations. He dedicates his life to improving the quality of life for people with disabilities. Dr. Rex Marco is one of the only surgeons in the world with training and expertise in the treatment of patients with complex spinal disorders and musculoskeletal tumors. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> thank you for agreeing to be on our podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks was, so much. Was that a proper intro, or was there anything that I missed that you'd like to share with the audience? That was perfect. Good, good. You know, uh, Dr. Marco, I, uh, we I told you that we'd talk a little bit about uh, your injury, but I wanted to start first with what brought you into the uh, spine world? What interested you in being a physician and uh, and getting into the career that you have? I wanted to be a physician to teach and help people and combine that with my interest in science and mathematics and what interested me most in about the spine was working with one of my attendings who trained me uh, when I operated with him and saw the incredible things he could do and still get people up and walking about uh, with the amount of expertise that he brought into the operating room I really wanted to do that as well as combine uh, my field of musculoskeletal oncology with reconstructive spine surgery because I knew that there wasn't someone at that time that had done both. 
Yeah. It's so interesting. I, I didn't ask you the first time we spoke where you went to medical school uh, for, to get that multidisciplinary training. Where did you learn about multidisciplinary training uh, in medicine? I learned mostly about multidisciplinary training when I was doing my musculoskeletal oncology fellowship at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Mm -hmm. And there we always had a group of oncologists and surgical oncologists and pathologists, and everyone got together and helped devise the best plan for the patient. Absolutely. You know, from that multidisciplinary perspective, when you and I spoke on the phone, I always have worked and my training was in that multidisciplinary perspective, more from the behavioral and psychological component of people with long-term chronic medical conditions and long-term chronic pain. And something that really impressed me about you as a world-renowned surgeon is that you had this understanding, uh, like many doctors do now, but you know, many years ago when I finished my fellowship training, uh, I would talk to a surgeon or neurosurgeon or uh, uh, any type of surgeon and say, you know, there's an emotional overlay oftentimes with a psychological overlay with long-term chronic pain or a long-term chronic disease issue. And they would say, you're a PhD, get out of my office. Um, and, and, <laughs> and you got it immediately. Um, uh, so talk to me a little bit about that, bringing psychology into a medical practice as well. Well, that's interesting that you say that because as a surgeon, I really believed from a spinal perspective that much like your other surgical colleagues, that it really wasn't as important as I now know it is. And you knew it was very important back then. And it takes a lot to get into a surgeon's head that that the emotional component is very important. Mm -hmm. And it really hit me a lot harder when my family was put into recovery and my kids have substance use issues and we entered recovery. And uh, through recovery, I learned a lot about the emotional component of everything we do. And especially me, I was someone that really didn't grow up feeling emotions. And I learned that through one of our recovery uh, meetings with a therapist that I really, she was really concerned that I wouldn't experience the fullness of an emotional life is what she said in her write-up. And when I heard that, I, I really understood that I was missing something and uh, I went to seek out help to get um, to learn how to feel mm -hmm. uh, my emotions. And when I started to do that and started to do mindfulness work, I started to really understand how important the emotional component is for my patients in, in the oncology world as well as the uh, spine and chronic pain world. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. I think that in the oncology world, I know from my own perspective, my sister, uh, when I was an undergraduate, was a patient at MD Anderson <clears throat> and had ter a terminal cancer and for five years. 
And I watched the process of my sister go through the, her own grieving process of really death and dying and the depression and the anxiety and the fear and all of the things that were going through her mind as she was going through this process of life. And uh, uh, her physician uh, talked to her about the emotional and psychological effects of the disease process and how being depressed and having a negative attitude or or believing that you're going to die can actually speed up that process. But by turning it around and having a positive outlook of hope and faith and joy and freedom, that it can actually slow down that process. And I think it did give my sister, she did attend therapy and she was able to go through counseling and 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 uh, was on her own recovery process really, and was able to slow that process down and it is amazing how powerful this brain is, isn't it? It really is, and that's amazing that your sister had such a wonderful and compassionate and understanding physician. Yeah, uh, absolutely, it was. Um, uh, if you don't mind talking about your own recovery process and your children uh, having substance use uh, history with substance use disorder, I don't know if that happened uh, prior to your injury or after your injury, but can you tell us uh, a little bit about the injury and the day that happened and how your life changed? Yes, the day of the injury, uh, I was out mountain biking with my son's recovery group and I was trying to follow this group and we were playing this game called No Dabs, which is where you try not to put your feet down on the ground uh -huh. while you're mountain biking. And I looked right and I saw there was a couple of roots there and I felt that I would touch my feet on the ground if I went that way. So I went left and the next thing I knew my tire just stopped and I, I didn't, I must've flown over the handlebars, but I don't remember it. It just all hit so fast. The next thing I heard was a crack. Mm. And I wondered if it was my helmet or my neck. And I wasn't sure which one it was, but I knew I didn't have any pain. And I wasn't sure if I could move or feel, but I wondered if I cracked my neck and broke it. It wasn't until my friend came and I heard him yelling my name and he sounded really panicked and I asked him if he could touch my leg or, and he said that he was and I couldn't feel it. And I asked him if I was moving my arms or legs and he said that I wasn't, even though I was trying. So it was in that moment that I knew that I had uh, broken my neck and that I was a quadriplegic. I, that was after our family had entered recovery and it was several years before that that we had entered recovery. Yeah, that that experience, that recovery experience that you had, uh, not that anything could prepare you for what you were experiencing in that moment, but that recovery experience and the counseling and the background and the work that you had done in recovery and your children had done and being there with them, did you find that it helped you through the, your own process of, of healing? I heard you say that not that anything could prepare me for that, but although that was 
very tragic and a horrible thing to have happen, I really was prepared in that moment. Wow. I, it, I, I can't explain it. I just knew that um, if I asked, I would be granted the serenity to accept this thing that I couldn't change. And, wow. and I knew that I would have the courage to change the things that I could, which was pretty much what my mind was thinking and how I approached things. And um, I knew that mm -hmm. I had already gained the wisdom to, to know that that's the only thing I could change right now. Mm -hmm. I couldn't take back that turn. I couldn't undo my broken neck. I couldn't undo my paralysis. I knew that I could ask for serenity to accept it and move forward as best as I could. And if it wasn't for the recovery that my family and I had done to that point, there's no way I could have been as prepared as I was. I also knew that there was a plan and this had to be part of the plan and mm -hmm. it's not the part of the plan that I would have drawn up, but uh, I knew that there was a plan and I would be okay. Yeah. Clearly that serenity prayer means the world to you. It does. It's helped me so much. And I didn't realize this before my family got into recovery, but so many people had given me plaques and, um, and I had them around my house. And I didn't even know that until uh, we entered recovery. And one of the counselors we were with told me that that was one of her favorite prayers. And uh, then I started understanding it and saying it. And really, it, it means the world to me. And actually, on the before the EMTs took me away, I asked everyone in the group that was there um, to say that prayer before we we left. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. That's it was amazing. A really powerful. Yes, it was a really amazing and powerful moment. Wow. Did they, uh, did the EMTs know who you were, that you were a surgeon? No, they didn't. They <laughs> didn't. Uh, they, they were following protocol and protocol wasn't going to work in that environment so yeah i asked uh, i asked my friends to go against what they wanted to do because there was if we followed protocol i would have been there a lot longer and i needed to get up and moving and uh, towards the hospital yeah in a safe way um but i they they, they didn't know who i was yeah to my knowledge <laughs> yeah exactly you know it, it, Ironically, in my own life uh, and in the world I work in, I'm trying to figure out if this is because of the world I work in, but not really, is uh, you're the second physician, uh, uh, colleague, and, and really now friend of mine, I feel like, that has had an injury. Uh, as, as a surgeon, uh, you experience this injury, and then one of my longest, dearest friends experienced an injury at T5. And you both had that same 
emotional response. And that is, I'm not going to let this bring me down. I have to get up and I have to move and I have to get my life going and moving forward. And like you, uh, he did that and was taken to the hospital. And uh, uh, of course, his injury is at T5. And he continued to practice medicine and has practiced for many years um, with a T5 injury as an interventional pain physician. And what do you think it is about your in your life, your personal life that that allows you to have obviously recovery, um, but this the mentality of there are so many people in this world that uh, with the injury that you experienced. Uh, would be in the depths of depression and the depths of, of fear and anxiety and, and, and somewhat live in that. I've known some of those people um, and you were able, I'm not saying you don't experience depression or anything. I'm just saying that you, uh, you seem to be living, uh, uh, taking your life one day at a time and living the best life that you can possibly live. What, what allows you to do that? Before my recovery, I think what would have allowed me to do that is the inability to feel emotions. Mm -hmm. I think I would have just pushed through and said that I'm going to fight this. I'm nothing's going to bring me down. Of course, I don't feel sad or depressed or afraid. Uh, I'm just going to beat this mm -hmm. after recovery. It's not like that. I don't think like that anymore. I just know that if I live in the present moment and if I have honesty and hope and faith and courage and integrity and perseverance and spiritual healing and give back and have humility and willingness, then I'm going to be okay. And I don't have to, I can feel fear and it's okay to feel fear and it's okay to feel anger and it's okay to feel sad. If I live in this moment though, I really don't have fear or the fear that I have or the anxiety that I have. I'll just wait until it dissipates or the sadness that I might have. I, I can live in this moment and know that, that sadness is okay and anxiety is okay and anger is okay. I can wait until they go down and I'm more in wise mind rather than emotional mind before I react to a situation and harm other people, including myself. Yeah. And if mm -hmm. I wait for those emotions to go down before I respond, then I won't tend to harm as many people, including myself. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. That's, that's so brilliant and mm -hmm. so amazing. And, uh, I, I think I told you this on the telephone when we spoke, but, uh, I would absolutely love it if I had a TV screen with you on it every single day to give a morning lecture yeah. uh, to my patients every day. Mm -hmm. For sure. <laughs> um, it, it would be absolutely amazing. Tell us a little bit about your work with the Reeves Foundation. Would you mind telling the audience about that? Oh, yes. That's been an amazing opportunity. 
So now I'm in this fraternity, which I never would have chosen to rush, but I'm yeah. in it now. And this group of people, the uh, paralyzed individuals, uh, started out with Christopher Reeves, who was Superman. And when he became a quadriplegic, he joined forces with the American Paralysis Association and formed the Christopher and Dana Reeves Foundation in order to find a cure for paralysis and to help people have a better quality of life. And joining forces with them, I was fortunate enough to join, uh, meet up with Alan Brown, and he connected me with the Reef Foundation. And our, our foundation that we had before, our not-for-profit, um, we really were going to do research to help find treatments and maybe cures for spinal cord injury as well as help with quality of life. And instead of us doing it alone, we were able to combine the forces of the two and uh, work with them now to find cures for paralysis and help people improve their quality of life, as well as advocate for people with disabilities on the Hill and at the Capitol, and also to not just advocate for people with disabilities, but to bring attention to the huge prejudice and bias there is uh, towards people with disabilities. Sure. It's, it's amazing that that still continues in 2021. Do you, uh, is there any instance that you can think of in your own life where you've experienced that discrimination? Yes, it was very obvious when I, I came into my apartment and I was asking for directions and the people were turning the other way one of the ladies that worked at the apartment complex, she uh, gave me a really funny, horrible look. Um, huh. they, they were just not helpful and not compassionate at all. Uh, and it was a really stark contrast to walking around upright in a white coat in the hospital mm -hmm. to rolling around in a wheelchair being snubbed by someone that's supposed to be helping me. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Astonishing that that would happen. I know. Uh, that it continues well. to yeah. happen. Yeah. yeah. You gave us a really great title for the podcast, When Life Takes Your Breath Away. And your, your life story would really make a good book. To teach others. Is there a book in the works? There is in my head. <laughs> I'm procrastinating. <laughs> so I have notes. I I have an idea. I would really like to take the time and make the time to, to get yeah. a book out there. Yeah. Well, we happen to know someone that may be able to help with that. Oh, that's true. <laughs> we'll that's have to true. make an introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what's next? That would be for, great. Yeah. What is next for the infamous Dr. Rex Marco? More week, more work with the Reeve Foundation. Yeah. I have some other lectures and 
and keynote speaking, I would also, I'm also starting this mindfulness meditation teacher certification program. Oh yeah, tell in us a about couple that. weeks. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yes, that's a two-year program where they guide us and teach us how to uh, teach mindfulness meditation. And I'm really looking forward to that. It's it's a practice that's helped me a lot. Sure. And it definitely helped me in my recovery. And that's where the title comes from is I use breath so much to find calm and peace and relaxation before my injury. And that combined with moving mindfulness through yoga mm. really helped me a lot. And when I got to the ICU, or actually even in the at the site of the accident, I found that my breath was going away. And I was trying to breathe calmly and I was at the scene as soon as I became aware of my breath in the hospital, I realized that it wasn't serving me at all anymore. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't breathe on my own. And I asked them to put a tracheostomy tube in me because I knew that would help me uh, breathe or ventilate, not breathe. But with that in there, even though I was getting oxygen, I still couldn't breathe and feel that same relaxation that I I could before, and even today, if I try to do focus a lot on my breath, it just doesn't work for me anymore. Mm -hmm. So I can't do uh, mindfulness meditation like I used to do. Uh, and like the title says, when life took my breath away, I had to find other ways to help me, uh, mainly my recovery. Mm -hmm. all the recovery work I did, had done and the tools I learned through there and using other senses that I still had the ability to to function, which was mostly just my hearing because my eyes were blurry, my sense of smell was gone, I mm. couldn't taste the same. And feeling, of course, was non-existent. So. Mm -hmm. The only real sense that I had working was my hearing and thankfully the last course I took, which was a, a silent retreat two weeks ago, I learned that we could anchor in sound and still be a silent meditation for ourselves. And that's what I was actually doing, uh, starting in the ICU and, and continuing now, I really mostly anchor in and do mindfulness with sound. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Where are you taking your two-year mindfulness uh, course? It's online. It's through Jack Kornfield and Tara Brock. Sure. Amazing yes, people. Yes, yes, amazing people. That That's so cool. So we're running out of time here, but I thought I'd lighten things up with a few fun uh, <laughs> off-topic, fun questions, yeah. if we could. So if someone were to make a movie of your life, who would you cast to play the role of Dr. Rex Marco? <laughs> Shay is waiting to hear this one. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a tough question. I don't know. Maybe Tom Cruise or Keanu Reeves. 
There you go. Oh, I say Keanu, Keanu Reeves. Me yeah. too. Me too. Yeah. What gives you joy in life? My, my recently born son and my other son. Yeah. Amazing. Where, describe your happy place. Where is it and what are you doing? My happy place now after the accident yeah. is in the present moment. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I knew he was going to say that. Did you? Yeah. Does it feel like the accident, does it feel like it was a long time ago or just like yesterday? Uh, sometimes a long time ago and sometimes yesterday. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What advice would you give uh, anyone out in the audience listening uh, that either has had a long-term injury or a, a new injury um, or really, quite frankly, any process they're going through? Depression, mm -hmm. anxiety, fear, grief, trauma, uh, substance use disorder. Uh, what advice do you would you give someone uh, just new in that phase of recovery? Yeah, good question. My advice would be to go to the most generalized recovery group that I consider generalized as adult children of dysfunctional or alcoholic families. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's called ACOA for short. And it can be applicable to so many people and help so many people find recovery and it's free pretty much maybe they you can donate a dollar if you want to mm -hmm. if you're at the meeting but it, it can speak to so many people if they're willing and open to it at that moment absolutely and i i think it's a really good start um, for for people yeah completely agree do you uh sponsor other folks in acoa i I not in oh well, yes I do actually uh -huh. I I sponsor people in ACOA and uh, Al-Anon and SLAA. Wonderful. Okay, what an absolute inspiration yeah. in life and uh, Dr. Marco, thank you for everything that you've done in your life and everything that you're that lies ahead of you, um, and uh, I know great things are ahead for you. And I would love, as I said on the phone, we have got to sit down and figure out how to collaborate. Yeah. Uh, I think that, not that you're not busy enough with the <laughs> Reef Foundation, which is an amazing organization, but uh, I, would, I would truly love to sit down with you and continue this conversation and, and, and think about how uh, you could motivate so many people around the world uh, having difficulty in life uh, because you take it on like a real champ. I look forward to continuing to do it. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. And Dr. Marco, if someone wants to reach you, a family member, or um, do you have a, an email or a phone or some way they can reach you? Yes, my email is rexmarco at gmail.com. Okay. And yeah. my cell phone number is 713 Two zero six, one three nine one. Thank you. And that's M A R C O. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Doc, 
what an amazing person. Thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you so yeah. much. And to be Bye, continued. Bye, Robin. Yeah. Bye. All right. Thank you. Take care. Talk to you soon.